The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace Through death into life everlasting He passed and we follow Him there Over us sin no more hath dominion For more than conquerors we are Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. 
I want to be very clear with you today. There are some things that deeply trouble my heart. I want to speak briefly about those things. When I was just starting in pastoral ministry, an old pastor called me aside, and he said, Ray, I want to give you some pastoral advice. He said, I know you very much love your people, but there's a gauge by which you can know what's happening in their hearts. I said, what's that? He said, regularly every month, sit down with your treasure and look carefully at what they're giving. And if suddenly someone stops giving, maybe two months, maybe just one month, stop by and visit them in their home and ask them if they're okay with Jesus and if they're okay with you as the pastor. Because usually when people stop giving, it means there's something wrong in their hearts. They're angry about something. They've been hurt by somebody. They're beginning to withdraw from the from the family of God. I did that for many years. And he was right. There is a direct connection between giving and happy spiritual life. Now, it took me quite a few years to begin to understand this, but let me address it, please. I'm not talking about just giving money. I'm talking about giving your heart. I'm talking about not withdrawing your heart from Jesus. Jesus loves you. He paid an incredible price for your salvation. And yet, I hear God's people saying things that cause me great distress in my heart. I hear people say things like, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. In other words, a constant confession on the part of God's people that Jesus has withheld from them righteousness. And so they're continually caught in their sin. And when that's true, it's only a matter of time until they're going to be overcome and they're going to get washed away from Jesus. Now, we seem to be very good at settling into some kind of middle ground where we confess our wickedness, but we do not declare the victorious life in Jesus Christ. We confess that sin has dominion over our lives, and then we walk in that. And it gives us an excuse not to totally die to our sin and be made righteous in Jesus. That's one part of this picture. There's nothing that grieves my heart more, and I've watched it so many times. 
one dear friend, a person I loved very much. I was always concerned in my heart about the anger I saw in their spirit. I was always concerned about a rigidness, a judgmentalness that was in their spirit. And I watched as Jesus grew this person up. But even as he grew them up, I still saw that very dangerous part of their heart where there was an easy turning to judgment and anger and bitterness. And finally, they were swept away by their anger and their judgments. I've watched many times as a person is zealous for Jesus, earnest, eager, even going out and passing out literature, even going out and preaching on the streets, spending much time weeping before the Lord on their face, crying out to God, earnestly desiring Jesus and his kingdom, walking in absolute obedience to his call on their life. And yet these hidden areas of hurt in their heart begin to be stumbling blocks for them. And I've watched as their heart has hardened and they have been distracted by this theology or that theology by some man's teachings and because of their propensity for independence they latch on to those teachings like it's a lifesaver but it's not it's sinking them but you can't talk about it because if you do they only become defensive and angry and so some things you simply give into the hand of Jesus but you watch with heartbroken despair as they settle into the absolute truth of their own mind and their own heart and they interpret everything through their vision of of what they believe rather than through Jesus I've been speaking with you a lot about loving Jesus That love for Jesus is quickly extinguished in the heart of a person who is feeling defensive and angry and and thinks someone has sinned against them when in reality they hadn't, but because of the person's own perspective, they're angry. And that anger begins to block their heart from Jesus. That anger begins to to cool their passion for Jesus. It begins to turn them away where they're no longer so intensely interested in the things of the word. They stop praying. They don't want to pray with you anymore. 
they're distracted. And finally, the break comes and the separation happens and the person no longer walks in friendship or relationship with you or with the church or with the pastor. I'm not saying it's all their fault. I'm saying that it's a demonic setup. He knows how to blow upon us to cool our passion for Jesus. He knows what those hidden inner pains of our heart are that he can play like a piano and can move us in various directions away from Jesus and away from fellowship and away from the church. Now, I'm not going to even begin to pretend that the church does not have faults, immaturities, make mistakes. I'm immature. I make mistakes. I have to grow up more in Jesus. I sometimes totally misread a person and respond in a way that's not helpful to them. If that's the case with you, please, I'm sorry. That's not where my heart is. I've just come to a point in my heart where I have said, Nothing is going to separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. No circumstances, no words spoken, no actions taken are going to separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. Romans, the eighth chapter, says that nothing can separate us from Christ that we don't let separate us. I deal with people all the time who have these hidden hurts. I think we all have them. And we have to decide how we're going to respond to those hidden hurts. If we're going to let them rule our lives and turn us in despair, into separation, into hopelessness, or if we're going to turn to Jesus... I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about Mary and Martha and the gift of giving. There is nothing that will keep our hearts so clean before God as radically acting on obedience to give when he tells us to give and to whom he tells us to give. It is the giving of of our financial resources. It is the giving of our time and energy. It is the giving to what a person needs outside of our realm that keeps us in Jesus Christ. You can tell what's happening in your heart when you begin to withdraw your giving from Jesus and from others, 
You say, well, I don't trust that person. Well, you've stopped giving to that person, haven't you? You've stopped reaching out and sharing with them your thoughts and feelings. You've withdrawn and not shared with them the same intensity of desire and passion and excitement that you used to have with them. Be that Jesus or be that a husband or a wife or be that a friend. There is nothing that will so indicate a cooling of our hearts as withdrawing the giving of our hearts. So I want to talk about Mary and Martha in the context of the giving of our hearts. In Luke, the 10th chapter, Jesus and his disciples were walking together. They came into Bethany, and there was a woman named Martha. She opened her home. She was probably the owner of the home, or else her brother, Lazarus. They may have owned it together. Now, they had a sister, Mary. The scriptures say in verse 39, this is Luke ten thirty nine. she had a sister called Mary who sat at the feet of the Lord listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and she asked, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Some manuscripts put, but few things are needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I wonder what Jesus was talking with with Mary about. Perhaps he was telling Mary the story of the five loaves and the two fish that the little boy brought, and the crowds of 5,000 men and probably another 5,000 or more women and children this huge crowd of people that Jesus was speaking to. Maybe he was telling her about how the little boy came and gave Jesus the loaves and the fish. Probably the the five little buns and the two little fish were not really enough to even fill this little boy's belly. Oh, but after he gave it to Jesus... I can tell you what happened. His heart went out in love to Jesus because when we give, our hearts go out to the person we give to in love and compassion. I don't know what he was talking to her about, but but Mary was very much taken by what he was saying. And Martha was very upset because she was trying to get a meal on the table. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, 
You're worried and upset about so many things. Martha was the one who was probably the caterer. Everything had to be right. She she made delicious food. But this was a short visit by God. And she wanted to give to God what she wanted to give to him. She wanted to give him a delicious prepared meal with the table set with the very best. And Martha was not helping her give what she wanted to give, and so she was upset. But Martha didn't understand what Jesus needed and what he wanted. Jesus wanted someone to just sit and listen and be changed by the word coming from his mouth. So Martha wanted to give, but she didn't want to give what Jesus needed. Mary, on the other hand, was totally absorbed in Jesus. I can tell you now what Jesus wants from you. Yes, time and money, that's important. But Jesus first wants from you your full attention. He wants you to be captivated by his words and by his actions and by his passion for the Father. He wants you to be captivated by his love for you. He wants you to be captivated. He wants you to know the reality of his presence. He wants you to know He wants you to know his love. Now, frankly, Mary and Martha and Jesus could have all three participated at some point in finishing the preparation for the meal, and it would have been a very enjoyable thing for all three of them to do. They were not ready to do that. Now, there's another story that I want to turn to. And this story is found in John. And it's also found in Matthew. And again, it's about giving. There's so much in the scripture about giving. And there's so much in the scripture about withholding. And I guess I just want to stop for a moment and ask you, have I spoken about anything today that that has to do with your heart? Are you freely and abundantly giving to Jesus your attention and your love? Are you freely giving to Jesus what he wants from you? Or are you distracted by many things? Are you distracted and upset by all the circumstances of your life? 
Have you withdrawn from Jesus? Have you given up on him? Wives, have you withdrawn from your husband? Have you not spoken honestly about how you feel about him? Have you withdrawn and withheld from him honesty? Intimacy always comes out of giving loving, honest answers. Intimacy always comes by giving. It's when we give that we can be blessed by God. It's out of the giving that Jesus moves and blesses us abundantly. Have you have you withheld from someone because you're angry with them, you have judgments against them? I've had people make judgments against me that I know in my heart are so patently wrong. But I could never convince them that it's wrong. They know what they know, and they're determined to shape their life around what they know. Don't bother them with the truth. Don't bother them with with what you think or what you know. This kind of hard edge destroys marriages. This kind of lack of forgiveness destroys relationships. When one does not choose to understand where another person walks and withholds from them, it destroys the relationship. No, anger does not destroy a relationship. It's what you do with that anger. It's withholding the giving that destroys. Matthew 26. When Jesus had finished all these things, speaking parables, truth, He said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way, and to kill him. This is a time of high drama. This is just preceding the Passover, the week of Jesus sleeping with his disciples on the Mount of Olives and then going down and teaching in the tabernacle, in the temple of God. He knows these are his last days before his crucifixion, and he is very concerned for his disciples, and he wants to give them everything he can possibly give them to prepare their hearts for what's happening. His heart is totally focused on giving to them and giving to the Jewish people, giving to you and to me. 
He's going to be sacrificed as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. He knows all of this. His heart is very upset about what's happening. Chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 6, While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar. This is, I'll show you in just a moment, this is Martha coming. Mary is hosting the feast in honor of Jesus at Simon's home. It continues. This woman came with very expensive perfume, which he poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. That's what's on Jesus' mind, his crucifixion and his burial. And here comes this wonderful woman, Martha, to comfort his heart, to love him. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. And from then on Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now we find the same story in the book of John. John, the twelfth chapter. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet. Now, the Gospel of Matthew includes, she poured it on his head. That was customary, to anoint on the head. But also, she poured it on his feet. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and, and money given to the poor? It was a year's worth of wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have all the poor among you, but you will not always have me.
this story so quickens my heart. Lazarus and Jesus are reclining together at the table, and this is a meal to honor both. People have come to see Lazarus because he was raised from the dead. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were very well known. But now we have Mary bringing a pint of pure nard. Judah says that it could have been sold for a year's worth of wages. In the money of today, we're looking at somewhere between fifteen and $36,000 for this incredible perfume. This is a very special gift. Spikenard was very expensive. Probably came from India or some such place. I don't want Judas's but. He says, but this should have been sold and given to the poor. I don't want that to distract us from something. I don't want it to distract us from, from what Mary did for Jesus. Jesus was totally focused on what he could give to Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, Simon, the people there. He was totally focused on what he could give to the world, what he could give to you and me. Jesus is a giver, not a taker. His whole heart was what he could give, and he was willing to give and did give his very life for you and me. There is no greater gift a man can give than to give his life for another. But here comes Martha. With such earnest love and passion, Jesus is broken. His heart is weeping. He knows this is the last week before he goes to crucifixion, and he must prepare his disciples for the crucifixion. Now we know Jesus' heart is going to break on that cross. It's going to break in sorrow, and it's going to kill him. He died well before the others, not just because he'd been scourged so much, but because he died of a broken heart. We know that because they pierced his side and blood and water flowed. His heart had exploded. And here comes Martha to anoint his head with oil, with a very expensive oil, to anoint his feet and to rub his feet with her hair, to dry them from the oil with her hair. She was being so extravagant in her giving to Jesus. You will not know the passion of giving to Jesus as long as you are withholding your love from him. As long as you withhold 
for yourself. The gifts that Jesus has called for in tithes and offerings, in time and energy, in expressions of compassion and love for your brothers and sisters. As long as you live in anger and bitterness toward another person and you refuse to forgive them, you will not know the passion of love. I almost called this broadcast the passion of Mary's love. Oh, Martha is serving the table. She's consumed with serving everybody and making sure that everybody has what they need, and that's wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. But it wasn't the same passionate love that Martha had for Jesus. I've spoken to you this week about the lukewarm in the story of the Laodicea church. Jesus does not come in and eat and drink with the church at Laodicea. He calls them to repent. He calls them to get the gold tried in the fire. That is, to give in such a wonderful, hilarious way. To give of their time, of their money, of their energy. To sacrifice themselves for the cause of Jesus Christ. For the person of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean being stirred by some passion for some poor person. Jesus says, you're always going to have the poor with you. Do it to me. Do it for the gospel of Jesus Christ. NGOs are wonderful. They do a wonderful work in the world. Samaritan's Purse. Salvation Army. And I could name many other organizations that do awesome work for the poor. And I love them. And I contribute to them. That's not the same. I know. If you've done this to the least of my brother, and you've done it for me, and so there is that part of it. But I'm talking about this intense, incredible, passion for Jesus Christ where he is so drawn by your love that if anyone dare criticize you he will rebuke them and he will say stop it leave them alone they loved me what has what have you given to Jesus? What have you been so consumed with about Jesus that you could not help yourself but to give? I want to say it again, and it's a teaching throughout Scripture, but we're not going to go there today. That's not the primary focus. I want to say again to you, if you want to change your relationship with your wife, 
if you want to change your relationship with your husband, then give to your husband and to your wife. If you want to change your relationship with Jesus, go out of all bounds and give to him. It is when we give to Jesus that we open the opportunity for him to bless us. I have a dear a dear friend and brother. He will give generously to the work of the gospel. The first fruits. The tithe and an offering. Always. Not just a tithe, but a double tithe. And he'll say to me, when I say, are you sure? He'll say to me, Pastor, don't try to steal my blessing. Don't try to steal my blessing. I'm giving to Jesus. And recently, the Lord brought into my life a wonderful family. And they've said the same thing to me. Don't steal my blessing. When I give, there's a blessing that comes from Jesus. There is a blessing from Jesus. He said, wherever the gospel is preached, they're going to tell the story about Mary's radical giving to me. Jesus' heart was so touched by this gift, by this anointing of this expensive fifteen to $36,000 bottle of perfume. How extravagant! And she doesn't just make a, a little cross on his forehead. She pours it on his head. And then she pours it on his feet. And this precious oil soaks into his feet. And she dries his feet with her hair. And the aroma, the intoxicating aroma, this musk smell, this, this aroma, overpowers everyone in the room. And everyone has to stop and has to look and watch. And then comes this wicked man, Judas, who says, But, but this should have been sold and given to the poor. No, it should not be. This was for Jesus. This was to comfort the heart of God before he died on Calvary for you and me. My heart is so moved by this gift. She didn't. She didn't care what other people thought. She knew that aroma would spread through the whole room. She knew she would be criticized for this. She knew she would be judged for this compassionate action of anointing God for his burial. 
didn't matter. Her heart was so stirred with love for Jesus. He had forgiven her for her sins. He had washed away her wickedness. Now please let me say this. Please, please hear what I'm trying to say to you and don't be, don't turn aside an offense. The reason you have so little love for Jesus and so little passion for him is because you've given him so little. The reason you have so little passion for Jesus is you have given him so little. The reason you have so little passion for Jesus is because you have held yourself back and you have believed the lies that you are a sinner and you will always be a sinner and so you never have the release of forgiveness and restoration and being made holy in Jesus Christ so that the love can flow freely from your heart because you're still looking at your belly button and saying, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. No. In Jesus Christ, you are released from sin. You are made righteous by faith in him, not by works, but by faith, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are free to be a hilarious giver to him, a lover to Jesus. Now, I know those words are probably offensive to some of you. But do you want passion for Jesus? then stop withholding yourself from him. How passionate can a wife be with her husband if she always pushes him away? How passionate can a wife be who in anger is always pushing her husband away? Don't touch me. You know that marriage is dead. How passionate can we about Jesus? How passionate can we be about Jesus when we're always pushing his grace away and claiming that we are sinners? Are you kidding me? Read, read Romans, the sixth chapter. Read Romans, the eighth chapter. Read the scriptures. Believe what the word of God says. Stand not on what your preacher has said, not on what you've been taught. Read the scripture for yourself. Come alive. Oh, I love Jesus. He saved me from my sin. He washed me. He made me clean. I have given him my life. I have nothing more to give Jesus. I've given him everything I have. And I love him. I'm willing to die for him. I've already died for him. My life doesn't belong to me. My life belongs to Jesus. We're so full of what we think and what we think we know. We're so full of our hurts. We're so full of our of our troubles. 
that we become very stoical. Well, this is just how life is, and I have to deal with it this way. No, you don't. You can shout and rejoice and praise Jesus and stand by faith for his restoration, his forgiveness, and his healing. Everything is found in Jesus that your heart needs. Oh, but you have that grudge. You have that anger. You have that withholding in your heart. You have the lack of forgiveness in your spirit. Do you understand this this refusal to give to Jesus steals your passion and your power? I don't know how to put it any more plainly. I've probably already offended you so that you won't listen to Pilgrim's Progress for a while. I'm just I'm wanting to tell you the truth. Even if it offends you. Very few people understand the principle that I am speaking to you about today. That giving creates passion. That giving to Jesus gives you passion for Jesus and allows Jesus to come and bless you richly beyond anything you can even imagine. The windows of heaven open and you can't even begin to receive all that Jesus wants to give you. I love that some of you give to Pilgrim's Progress with such incredible abandonment because you want this straight word to go forth in this city. But some of you withhold so blatantly. And if you give, you give stingily, withholding. I'm looking for the day I know I'm preaching the straight gospel of Jesus Christ. I know I'm preaching the gospel that has set me free and has set many other people free. And I'm looking for the day when I will see that passionate response to Jesus' call on your life that he could bless you abundantly. I said yesterday, I believe in miracles. I'm believing in the miracle of you being changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. I'm believing in the miracle of his giving you the freedom to be passionate with him and to receive from his hand all that he wants to give you. I know some of you are still in bondage. Jesus wants to set you free. Let's pray. Oh, my Lord, I know you want to set people free today. I know you want to move in power to forgive them for their sins and restore them to your heart that they've been withholding from you their passion. They've been withholding their giving. They've been withholding, Jesus, because they're 
They're angry inside, or they've been taught the wrong things. That they've been taught by blind shepherds. Oh, Lord, I pray for your people today. I pray that you would come and set them free. Mighty God of heaven, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Tomorrow is going to be a prayer day on Pilgrim's Progress. I invite you to call in early on the broadcast. I'm going to give you the number right now. Call first thing tomorrow when I go on air because some of you have tried and you haven't gotten through. The phone number tomorrow to call in to pray on air live with me will be 877-534-0780. I would like to hear some passionate prayers for Jesus and to Jesus. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to hear from you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I could also be contacted, and I would love to hear from you on PayPal. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com. Just click on PayPal, and you can donate online. This is a faith ministry. Oh, I pray for you, my brother and sister passion for Jesus. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.